Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm sitting in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan. It's good to be back, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. Yes, good to have you back in the studio with us. I am really glad that you have joined us for this episode of That's Truth. Tonight we are continuing our discussion on the topic of loneliness, something that all of us, if we're honest, have experienced at some point, and I imagine that there are a number of us who are experiencing it, maybe even in new ways, during the pandemic that the world is facing right now, and ways that we are regulated and what activities we can be involved in. Maybe you're not able to get out to work. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've lost a loved one. We are here to discuss loneliness and what the Bible says about loneliness and how we can learn from what God has allowed us to go through. Pastor Murphy, it's been, I believe, three weeks since we first started this topic. So can you just start out again by maybe defining and rehashing some of the material that we brushed up on three weeks ago? Yeah, Brother Nathan, we dealt with this subject, I think it's the third or fourth time, and I think it is only proper for us to kind of rehash some of the things that we said. One of the things that we try to establish is how we define the concept, and a simple definition that we gave uh, in the previous program is that loneliness really is an emotion of sadness where one feels somewhat isolated or cut off from others. In other words, there's a sense of disconnection uh, with uh, the society of human beings, and the person feels destitute of some kind of sympathetic companionship. Uh, This is what really uh, uh, loneliness is all about. The thing that we try to establish is that um, this concept of loneliness as an emotional illness or some kind of a mental problem is only a recent um, uh, definition, really. Because when you check the scriptures, uh, we pointed out that um, 96 times the word alone is found in the Bible. There are eight different Hebrew words and seven different Greek words that they use. But rarely uh, is the word alone as found in the Bible synonymous with the word that we use today, um, the modern term loneliness. As a matter of fact, we also suggested to you that the word loneliness uh, only acquired its present meaning um, in about 120 years. Uh, ago, uh, as a matter of fact, it did not appear, as we mentioned, in any uh, major dictionary until after the Second World War. Uh, this concept, that therefore, is something quite new uh, in terms of um, definition. Uh, however, all of us uh, have felt lonely at some time and will feel lonely. We can be the mystical crowd and still feel lonely. So we're going to have bouts of, of loneliness. 
And the thing that we've got to make sure it doesn't become a chronic problem so that uh, we find it difficult and painful when other people seem to be smiling or chatting or laughing or appear content that we are actually uh, burdened and angry on the inside because we witness uh, what seems to be contrary to our, our common state. Uh, so that's what we, we may mean by, by loneliness. Really, it's, uh, as I mentioned, an emotional sadness where you feel disconnected with people and there don't seem to be any socialization between you and individuals. Uh, the other thing that we talked about is that uh, the problem is when loneliness becomes chronic. And there are people who, day in and day out, uh, can't seem to get away from this sense of uh, emotional sadness that they're somehow not connecting uh, with people. They live on the constant cloud where it seems that loneliness rains down upon them on a daily basis. When other people live in the sunshine, uh, they live in this gloomy, melancholy world of loneliness. Um, and, and there's a lot of some reasons for that, by the way, uh, why people become chronic um, people of, of loneliness. Um, sometimes it is an organic problem. Um, you may have to get that checked and make sure that there's not a medical problem related to that. We talked about the, your chemicals and your hormones and um, the imbalance that can be there that can produce uh, this sense of, of uh, sadness. Among. Then there are other reasons. Uh, sometimes people feel socially inept. We talked about that. Uh, some people have a, so, a low self-worth because of their upbringing. Uh, maybe some person got embarrassed as a result of something that happened early in life. Consequently, they avoid the presence of other individuals now because they think they're just going to embarrass themselves again. Sometimes it's a personal hurt that they felt somebody's hurt them or others have hurt them, and they've withdrawn themselves so that they would not associate with the society of other human beings. Uh, they, they find uh, recluse in their loneliness. And then, of course, uh, poor socialization where the parents and, and the upbringing, maybe the parents were overprotective, they never got to interact with other individuals. Uh, consequently, they never felt at ease in, in uh, having social contact. And unintentionally, uh, they have withdrawn themselves and uh, consequently, they have this experience. And then don't forget, there are people uh, whose personalities, uh, I call them porcupine personalities, so people don't <laughs> feel comfortable around them. They never make anybody feel comfortable around them. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, if you want friends, you've got to be friendly. Mm -hmm. And a person with that kind of a personality might find that people withdraw from them. Now, the problem with this chronic problem, uh, matter of loneliness, though, is that uh, it can be very, very dangerous. It can lead you to an enforced sense of isolation where you uh, you can also lead to destructive antisocial behavior and become kind of sadistic. Uh, it, you, you can be, have brooding bitterness on the inside. Uh, and uh, there's also uh, the danger of having uh, anger on, 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 on in the inside, and this can lead people to uh, ultimately even commit suicide. So it's not a simple matter, uh, and it's not a... A matter that once you become a chronic uh, person feeling lonely, it can draw, drive you to the dark side where your mind can play games with you and you can do things that you normally would not do uh, normally. The other thing that we, we talked about um, is, uh, you know, what, how do we, you know, we talk about loneliness, but is it uh, negative? Is it adverse for a person to want to be alone at times? We, we need to, to make some clarity on that. And we want people to understand that uh, there's a difference between loneliness and solitude, and loneliness and being alone. 
there's a clear difference between those two things. And there's nothing wrong in an individual wanting to be alone in solitude and isolation from others uh, for, for good reasons. Uh, it's not that they're trying to avoid the society of others, uh, but they need some time maybe to uh, recoup uh, maybe to um, become creative in their thinking, maybe to get along with God, uh, maybe to get a time of prayer, a time of uh, fasting, uh, a time of seeking God. I mean, this is all part of the, 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 the matter. Sometimes you need uh, privacy to be quiet, and we can get into a rat race where we, 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 we just lose it, to be honest with you, and we just need some time to really get away, to, to, to kind of rethink where we are, look at our ideas, our values, and our, and our attitudes. And then um, uh, if we're dealing with unhealthy emotions, we need to grapple to that in, uh, in, uh, in our time to get, get away. And, and uh, you'll find that in scriptures, by the way, that uh, there were times where people, uh, especially David, our Lord, um, got away from the crowd in order to uh, recharge his batteries, his spiritual batteries, as it were, and um, so it, 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 it can be a good time for rest, prayer, meditation, reflection. So we must not confuse wanting to be alone, um, having some solitude, and, uh, and loneliness. We must not think that these terms are synonymous. Uh, they're quite different, and they serve. Um, solitude, in particular, has a, a good positive impact on an individual. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive program, a call-in program, and you can get in touch with us in a number of ways. You can call and ask your question by calling 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454, or you can comment your question on the Facebook Live video feed. The voice that you heard teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. And we are discussing this evening the topic of loneliness. But if you have a question on any topic, feel free to call in and ask it. Uh, Pastor, you mentioned that we don't want loneliness to become a chronic problem. How would you give me an idea of chronic? Is that like if I feel lonely once a week, once a month? What are you, how would you well, define it? Well, it's that? hard to define. I think it's, it's more an obsession. Um, you know, okay. there are people, I mean, I, I don't know. Every personality is different, and I don't think you can actually define it so well as two times or three times a week. But I think when it becomes problematic where a, a person uh, completely isolates himself from others and avoid the society of other uh, social human beings, uh, there's something wrong if people feel uh, uncomfortable with interacting with people and just want to get away from everybody. Um, I think that that is something that is, number one, is unscriptural. Uh, the God of the Bible is a tripartite being. and uh, There is a, a socialize, socialize, socializing between the two of them, uh, the three of them, uh, and that's why we are made in God's image and we are social beings. We need others. Uh, so um, I, I don't think you can actually put a particular... Um, Frequency. I just think it has to do more with the mindset and the emotion, um, where the person just feels that they can't connect with anybody and they don't want to be wrong anybody. I think when you withdraw yourself like that, I think that is where you enter the realm of loneliness. Uh, saying I want to get away from people to just uh, rethink, reevaluate, uh, maybe to pray, to intercede, to read the scriptures, uh, maybe even to um, um, to get my thinking back on track to kind of come back to a point of equilibrium. There's nothing wrong with that. 
So I think it has more to do with the, the mindset and disposition and how persons overwhelmed by the emotion that uh, defines a person as a, a person who suffers from loneliness. I think all of us have become aware as a result of the, uh, the regulations uh, and the quarantine that's being put in effect for many countries uh, of how social God really did create us to be. Yeah. Uh, you you yeah. take for granted seeing friends, whether it be at church or even at school yeah. or at work, and to be stuck in your own yard except to go out to the grocery store or if you work in an essential service to be working and then to go back home and you can't just freely go to the beach when you want and that kind of thing. It, it's something we took for granted. Yeah, it's always, look, in every crisis, you have to look for the good in the crisis uh, or the opportunity in the crisis. I think that this um, uh, situation that we're currently faced with, I think the fact that we have been forced into isolation should, uh, when it, if it returns or when it does return to normal, should give us a greater appreciation how we need people. Uh, it's okay being uh, with yourself for a week or two, but as it goes on to two weeks and three weeks and four weeks, uh, you really see that you need people. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Nathan, that the first time God ever said it was not something was not good hmm. is when he said that man was alone. And then he created uh, Eve for Adam uh, to try to remove that uh, uh, loneliness that was there, basically. But that is significant. Uh, and, and the other thing I would say, point out to people is that, you know, Adam really was not totally alone. Adam had God. And, you know, God came down and spoke with him. But Adam also had animals. He had nature. You know, people say, well, I just need nature. I don't need people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I want my pet. My pet is my my mate, basically. Uh, the folly of that really is, is so contrary to, to God's plan and how God made man. He made man to want to have the fellowship with other people. And that clearly comes out in this, this setting that we are currently faced with. And I think it will have, I think that uh, um, the home should be different after this encounter. Uh, there are some men who have never home. Uh, yeah. Their children have never had dad home for a week. Now they've had him home for almost six weeks. And I think that that can be uh, positive. And um, he might, a person might discover how important he is within the family and how they were missed. So I think some positive things will come out of, of this, and we just need to look on the positive side as far as this matter is concerned. Not trying to be a pessimist here, no. but I read a headline, several headlines, where statistically in China, after since they had the quarantine, the home quarantine first, the divorce rate, people filing for divorce skyrocketed after a couple of months, after mm -hmm. a month or two of that. Now, for the individual who is saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm being, I've been stuck at home with my family and, or with my spouse, and this relationship just is, it, it's worse than it was before because we're forced to deal with things that we were sweeping under the rug. What advice do you have? That's a difficult one. I had a call. I uh, don't want to say too much because you, you, when you're dealing with situations, you can't, you know, people think that, uh, the, the, the counselor or the pastor talks too much and it's a very fine line I'm always concerned about how to help people so when I use an illustration it's not designed to disclose information but I had a, a call sometime this week connected to the same thing um, actually um, even suggesting to use um, Zoom uh, to continue doing some counseling with, with, with a couple uh, and I suspect that that has come about as a result of maybe the t so close together recently, maybe some other things have surfaced. Um, 
I, I don't have a quick answer for that that one. I, all I would say uh, to people uh, who have, because one of the main complaints you have between a husband and a wife, it's the commonest complaint you'll have, that we don't talk, we don't communicate. Mm. And, and most times um, you're not home, you're not spending enough time home. That is one of the commonest things that you'll find, uh, communication between the husband and wife. Most wives would say, my husband don't have time to talk to me, to speak with me. Uh, most men would respond, but I'm out there trying to bring home the, the cake, basically, for the family. Um, and this, they might be pushed into a situation now where they, because they have not been communicating for such a long period of time, it almost comes to the point of irritation where you're, it's now more communication. than <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a very fine line uh, to know exactly how to deal with that. Uh, but I do feel that if you find that the, you're becoming bored or you're becoming tense or it's becoming too much, uh, ask for some time out. And uh, just say, listen, hon, or whatever, you know, I, I'm trying to accommodate this new lifestyle that we've got here. But um, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with it. And uh, I, I'm not trying to avoid having as frequent comments as you want. But I, I, because I'm not accustomed to it, it's taken me a while to adjust to it. Could you yeah. give me give me a, a time frame? Let me, you know, give me give me a time out now, et cetera, et cetera. Understand that, you know, things have to happen incrementally. I'm not going to change overnight because if I'm not a talker, no, I'm it, six weeks. I'm not going to be a talker, basically. Yeah. So I think you're going to have to be very honest with your partner, and I hope that the partner um, would relinquish and adjust to it as well. And uh, I, but you must keep trying even though you've given a time to to take a break uh, from this frequent conversation uh, you must understand that what a woman needs above everything else is communication uh, it's the wisest thing any man can do and the Bible says dwell with them according to knowledge and uh, it has some good dividends uh, if you would just give her the, the proper time that she wants but on the other hand uh, I hope the wife understands that men are generally not great talkers so there had to be some kind of a meeting of minds on this matter. Both have to adjust to this situation. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And also for this program, we are on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and you can click on the Facebook Live video feed. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios on this Tuesday evening is 749. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. I am really glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening schedule. Set aside 90 minutes to join us here on That's Truth. Let me encourage you to invite your friends, your family, anyone and everywhere, and everyone, no matter where they are, to tune in to That's Truth uh, online if you don't have access to a radio, and to ask your questions, whatever topic they may be discussing, whatever topic they may be about. We are discussing the topic of loneliness. Uh, Pastor, you mentioned a distinction between loneliness and being alone. Can you give me a little bit more of a concrete? I I think the key thing, concept here, uh, by the way, is the element of control. Uh, When it comes to solitude, you control your aloneness. In other words, you decide that you're going to separate or isolate yourself from others for a period of time. 
when it comes to loneliness, the problem is that you don't seem to have any control over that. As a matter of fact, you need more, you feel like you need more interaction with people, but they seem to be avoiding you or you just can't seem to connect with them. So the, the key thing here is the, the element of control. It, when it comes to solitude, you control that aspect of it. When it comes to loneliness, um, you seem to not have uh, very little control about it and uh, you feel isolated and trapped and abandoned and you wish that somehow your circumstances uh, were different. Um, not Most of the times, uh, loneliness is a result of some change that has taken place in your life. Uh, isolation is a decision that you make. But loneliness often comes as a result of some some some, some consequence that you are not able to control that has changed. Your, for example, um, a move moving from one geographical location to another. There's a family that just moved from a, one of the islands here, and um, I, I learned in the process uh, they were kind of uprooting uh, the entire family. I mean, if husband move, husband wife move, and uh, daughter move, everybody move, and then they came up to to Antigua. And uh, but that adjustment was so weird that it created a, some a lot of anxiety uh, within the family because it's like coming into a different world that um, things have changed that you have no control about. You 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 come into a job, uh, you got to adjust to new people at your workplace. Uh, sometimes you bring up your family and thinking that your children would get a job, they don't get a job. So you pull up all of these roots and then you find yourself as as though and then not g- generally speaking when you come into a different country. Very few people take you under their wings to show you the ropes. It takes you a while, maybe a year or two, to adjust, and that can. And then the other thing, uh, um, not only a move, but uh, what about um, a broken relationship? Uh, that's something that's changed your life. Yeah, you had companionship bef- before. You're depending on maybe uh, that this would be cemented with marriage, and then it it ended in disaster. Um, and sometimes you feel so much alone. You, as a matter of fact, you feel like so you're a reject. And that pushes you further into some people. Uh, the change that they had is the divorce. I mean, they're married, and now the, the whole life is shattered. Uh, and divorce is not only it's painful for all the partners. That in itself uh, cr- create loneliness as opposed to isolation. You didn't purposely uh, go into solitude. You were forced into solitude, and now it leads to loneliness because you're all by yourself. Any situation you find yourself in where you're wishing that um, for some attachment that you once enjoyed, something has changed to change that, can lead to a bout uh, of loneliness. Let me, let me put it in more concrete terms. Being alone generally is something physical. I, uh, being, loneliness is something emotional. Okay. Yeah. You, see, you, yeah. you get the difference there? Yeah. All right. uh, uh, being alone is a positive experience for you. Uh, loneliness is something negative where you, it, 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 your feelings are totally disrupted. I think if you can see it that way, uh, the key thing here is the interruption of emotions and the fact that the change that created that emotional upheaval is something that you can't control and something that you wish you could restore uh, in, in your life. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.54. We're discussing the topic of loneliness. But if you have a question about any topic or maybe a suggested topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, give us a call, 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. 
Pastor, what marks or characteristics manifest the condition of loneliness? Well, there are several uh, symptoms. When a person is um, in that situation where they are having emotional pain of loneliness, uh, let me just mention a few things that uh, that follow that, that characterizes that situation. Uh, one of the most common elements or common symptoms is what I call negative self-talk. Uh, what a person says and thinks, whether tacitly or explicitly. Is that like low self-esteem? No, this is what you're telling yourself (laughs) on the inside. and You might even find yourself verbalizing it. In other words, these are statements that you make that uh, are like bricks in a wall that uh, encase you in such a way that it um, it imprisons you and separates you from others. Uh, Instead of the the language you use being a means of building bridges to others, the things you you tell yourself, you're actually encasing yourself, as it were, in isolation. Uh, I'm talking about saying, let me use uh, some expressions that the person might be saying to themselves, whether verbally or or saying it tacitly. I feel all alone, okay? Uh, and, And sometimes they're in the house, but there's no need uh, to be all alone because there are other people there. But the negative thought you're saying to yourself, uh, even though you're there with others, in other words, your the, 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 your words are now um, affecting your your mindset. Uh, I don't believe anyone understands the way I feel. Notice the word anyone understands the way. There's always exaggeration, always hyperbole that they use. Uh, I really don't matter to anyone. Uh, these are the things that they keep saying to themselves as they're going through this state of loneliness. I don't have any good qualities that draw people to me. Now, that's not true. We all got some good quality, but because we are in this lonely state, this negative emotional upheaval, uh, we begin to say things to ourselves and whisper things under our breath sometimes. I don't have anything to offer to a relationship. Again, that is not true. But uh, when you're lonely and uh, you begin to become isolated, uh, your mind plays games with you and you begin to use this. this thing. I can't seem to connect with other people. Um, I will never find anyone to love me. Uh, I don't feel like I, f- um, like I fit in with anyone. Uh, I'm tired of trying to make people like me. I always fail. Or I'm all empty on the inside. Uh, I'm too messed up for anyone to like or want to be around me. Uh, I'm just a born loser. I feel like I've been deserted. Uh, I don't deserve to be loved or to have friends. I'm talking about, can you imagine a person in in, in, lonely, in their loneliness uh, saying these words to themselves again and again in, in different forms? I think I'm the only one who feels like this. Uh, all of these is what is why you mean negative self thought. That is something that you you run over in your mind. It's like a a record that's playing in your mind, and even when you're sleeping, you're still playing in your mind and the mind in your mind. The reason why that's important because your thoughts affect your feelings, and your feelings affect your actions. The only way to change your feelings is to work on your thoughts. Mm. See, to change, and that until that self thought is broken. And they get into that that mode, it's very difficult to pull themselves out of that situation. Uh, the other thing is that um, the other thing when people are feeling lonely, I mean, it, you can come to the point of where we call what you might call spiritual melancholy, where uh, you're going through this prolonged time where nobody seems to want to socialize with you, or you're just going through this period where you want to get away from people. 
and you somehow develop the idea that you're the target of God's displeasure. That somehow he, he's, he, he's targeted you, you're unworthy, you're unlevel, unlovable. Uh, um, you know, uh, God has it in for me. Uh, all his darts, all his arrows, like David said, are, are piercing me. Uh, you, can, you can have that uh, feeling uh, and it's now compounded by this spiritual melancholy when you bring God into the picture and believe that uh, he's not changing things and the reason why he's not changing because he's somehow uh, um, targeted me and I am the dartboard of all uh, that is happening. Um, there are also other marks, uh, Nathan. There are other symptoms and these are more psychological than they are spiritual, but depression. A lonely person normally goes into depression. Um, Are loneliness and depression always associated with each other? Wherever you've got depression, you've got loneliness, generally speaking. But they're not not the same thing, but one... And that is why, by the way, the symptoms are are quite similar. Uh, Anger. uh, Again, Mm -hmm. anger... Fault finding of others as well. That's why a very very common thing. You know, everybody's got, everybody's got, the, everybody's the problem. I'm not the problem. You know, um, it's a, a loss critical of, spirit. Uh, yeah, a, a loss of uh, motivation, um, uh, a cynical outlook on life. There's, there's nothing here for me. There's no future for me. Uh, a kind of hopelessness, uh, a deepening isolation, and uh, and they become what you might call a sour personality. Uh, you don't want to be around people like that. Uh, they are compounding the problem by the self-talk. Uh, this self-talk is playing upon the emotions that's depressing them. And uh, they're going on a spiral that's headed downward. And then there are other f- uh, there are physical symptoms as well. Uh, there's loss of appetite. Uh, or sometimes to compensate that, there's not lot, there's overeating to try to to deal with the matter. There's insomnia where you can't sleep in other places. In other ter- other ways, you're, there's oversleeping now to deal with the problem, basically. And uh, of course, this decreases decreases the immunity uh, to illnesses. And then they begin to have uh, gastrointestinal problems like stomach aches, nausea, diarrhea. Uh, they can have headaches and, and the blood pressure can go up and a general sense of nervousness. All of these are symptomatic things that uh, that begin to affect a person when they go through this chronic loneliness and uh, compound the problem by self-talk and so that their thought life affects their physical life. The Bible talks about psychosomatic illness. You read David and you'll find that David would, would talk about his bones hurting and his, his pain uh, because our thoughts uh, affect uh, our physical being, and there's a connection between our our, our, our thoughts and our, our 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 physical body, and they call it psychosomatic illness. That the th- the mind affects the body. I think people would generally agree that that's a, that is so. So those are symptoms, psychological symptoms. You've got the, the melancholy, spiritual melancholy. You've got the self-talk. Um, and then you've got those physical things as well. You put that package together, you have a pretty serious case that uh, some people become very suicidal if they, if they can't get some relief from their loneliness. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from a listener. Good evening, gentlemen. Very good program and relevant, pertinent topic. But I have a question. Do you do marriage counseling? Because my husband and I are going through a very bad situation, but I was told by a friend to listen to this program, and so far what I've heard tells me that you do have a lot to offer. Our problem is communication, verbal abuse on both sides, 
and keeping a record of past incidences to bring them up when a situation arises. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Uh, Madam, I would love to be uh, make myself available to help, but uh, am I talking about two committed Christians? Uh, that would be my, my main concern. I, I'm, a, I'm As a pastor, I have a simple philosophy of life. I think as long as they're two genuine, authentic believers, I don't think there's any problem that Christians can face that cannot be resolved if both persons are willing to follow the biblical model of what, what's required. Um, I, if you are that way and your husband are that way and you really, really sincerely uh, would like to get some issues resolved, um, I would be prepared to try to help you with that and make myself available. Um, we'll have to arrange how that can be done. But it's not something that we can just wave a magic wand. Uh, sometimes there are deep underlying problems that are uh, might seem to be the problem of communication, but there may be other matters that are unrelated. Sometimes the halo data that people share with you, they never give you the, the, the real root of the problem. But um, I'd be more than willing to, to try to help if I can. And um, you can probably contact the radio station and um, give them their number. Uh, I will probably give you a call, and we can see exactly how we can arrange. Uh, one other thing I would like to, to say, if you are serious about um, the counseling aspect of it, I do have a preliminary form that I generally require that people fill out. Uh, and it's fairly extensive. But again, by the time you've completed the form, it gives me an idea of what I'm faced with, what I'm dealing with. And while you may have the communication problem, maybe some other underlying problems that might uh, surface in the process of the evaluation form. So I would um, ask that um, the person who is willing to go through the process of counseling fill out the form. And that will give me a time to try to analyze where the situation is and what needs to be done and how I can help. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'll make myself available, more than willing to help you uh, if I can, and uh, I believe I can, but um, you must be willing and your husband must be willing as well. Uh, and by the way, one other thing, it, we're not coming together just to talk. Uh, every time we have a session, there will always be something practical to do that has that relates to what we talked about. Uh, in other words, the only way to change uh, a person's feelings towards an individual is to change their attitude and change their actions. Uh, that's a biblical principle. So when we talk about anything we talk about, there would be something practical that both persons would be asked to do during that, that, that week of session. Uh, so be prepared if you want the help. Uh, I would do everything within my power to try to help you, and I hope I can help you. Yes, if you reach out to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, we will get you in touch with Pastor Murphy. Um, there's not, I would give you the church number, but I don't know if there's anyone in the office a whole lot right now because of COVID-19. So the best way is just to reach out to the Radio Lighthouse if it's something you want to pursue, and we will get you in touch with Pastor Murphy. Uh, two things, two other resources that... Uh, in the meantime, I hope may be of benefit to you. And by the way, thank you for that question. And thank you for listening to the Radio Lighthouse. We have a number of programs, specifically one that is very practical. It's called Marriage on the Rock. It's only a five-minute program, but it airs Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings at 7.50 in the morning. I don't know if you're normally listening then, but if you're not, go ahead and make an effort to tune in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, 7.50 a.m., five-minute, very practical information talking about, it's almost like a 
form of marriage counseling over uh, the radio and a, a very practical program. Also, there are some previous episodes of That's Truth that may have some uh, pertinent information. Uh, I don't know the details of your marriage or anyone else who may be listening, but if you are listening and maybe there was a marital affair and how to uh, overcome that, uh, if you were to go to that's, go to Google and type in That's Truth Podcast, that's Truth Podcast, and there's a number of podcast providers out there, Google uh, Podcast and Anchor, Spotify, and you can scroll through. I believe this is the 112th episode tonight, and uh, you can scroll through based on the topics, uh, specifically on marital uh, challenges. We're episode 69 through 72. Um we are glad you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor, a Facebook message from Nevis. Hi, good night. I would like to find out the pastor's viewpoint on Psalm 109. Is it a psalm to be used against others? And if so... What are your views of the overall psalm? I'll read it here in just a minute. Is it too harsh, and when should we use it? A little off-topic, but something I have been pondering. Psalm 109, and I'll read that. Uh, it is 31 verses, so I'm, I'll start reading. And, Pastor, if you get the gist of it, you can interrupt me. Psalm 109 says, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. For thy mouth of the wicked, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about with the words of hatred and fraud against me without a cause. For my love, they are adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds, and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of the desolate places. Let the extortioner cast all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any favor, any to favor his fatherless children. Uh, verse number 13. Let his prosperity be cut off, and in the generation following their... Nathan, name. let, me, let yeah. me interject quickly here. This is what you call an imprecatory psalm, uh, where David is actually calling down God's wrath on the head of his enemies. Um, let me just say that, personally, I, I find it difficult to offer prayer like this. Uh, remember, David living in a time on the law. We're now living on the grace uh, and I can, and I, I mean, David is probably faced more with physical enemies than he are faced with uh, social enemies. But I, I think that David is given a prayer, and that this, this, this is this is a prayer of an honest heart, by the way. This is a man telling God uh, he's, he's so overwhelmed by his emotions, he's praying to God uh, exactly what he feels. Um, 
it's difficult for me uh, not putting myself in any circumstances similar to David uh, to understand the extent of David's anger and his wrath in this particular passage. He's so emotionally um, scarred in this passage. Uh, so I, I personally, for me, I have never reached this level of disdain and, and, and hatred and, uh, how should I say, feel that I need vengeance from God on, on someone. I've been through some difficult times, I can tell you that, but never uh, this kind of language. And I just think that, um, remember that David is God's anointed. This is my way of thinking here in this passage. Uh, really, when you attack uh, David uh, as God anointed, and again, looking at the psalm, not even knowing the background to the psalm, this is another thing I need to, to, to do a little bit of study on on the passage. I just can't look at the psalm and tell you what the background to that. But it might be interesting to just study the background to have an insight what this is. If this is an enemy trying to destroy David, who is God's anointed lead his people, this is not just David's enemy, this is God's enemy. Hmm. And uh, that kind of language takes on a different dimension now. But not knowing the, the background to the psalm, I would rather be able to come back to you next week and try to give you a better answer uh, just looking at the background. Uh, but for me personally, just reading the psalm, not knowing the background uh, to the psalm, uh, the language is, is quite legalistic. It, it, it doesn't have the element of grace that you would expect. But again, uh, David knew nothing about that. I mean, this is a physical war he was engaged in. Uh, so I think he's at a different level of emotion than I would be at this point in time. But I would say for, uh, for a Christian, I think it would be very difficult for me to conceive of a Christian having experienced the grace of God as we have experienced, coming out of our own paganism, our evil, our wickedness, uh, to speak in, in, in this kind of a language. But again, everything in the Bible, by the way, is recorded as inspired, but God does not approve everything you have in the Bible. Well, let me explain that again. You have the one of these days we're going to discuss the whole matter of slavery, hmm. uh, because that's a big problem uh, because of our colonial past, and because it seemed to be spoken of approvingly in the Bible. Uh, some people think that the Bible just endorses it, uh, just like divorce. Uh, God never sanctioned divorce. He tolerated it, but it was not something that it was his, his will. But because of the hardness of human heart, I think in other cases, um, some of the things exist in the Scripture. So let me let me respond to that question uh, next week in a, in a more carefully uh, thought out and uh, studied way than to just speak. I'm just speaking off my heart, uh, reading what David said and understanding the period of time he lived and the period of time we lived under. Uh, we are now told by Christ to love your enemies. We are told to pray for them that despitefully use you, those that persecute you. Uh, so he's now bringing it to a higher dimension. By the way, may I say this, there are people who say that um, um, their, their standard by which to live is the Sermon on the Mount. And that it's easier to live by the Sermon on the Mount than to follow the law. <laughs> it's much more harder. I mean, it, the Sermon on the Mount goes to the very motive of why we do things. The, the law is just a letter that we don't do things, but we don't get behind the motive. So the, the biblical Christianity with the advent of grace and the advent of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of revelation, uh, our, our response to things that happen to us is far more different than would pertain on the law where it was uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And uh, there were strict regulations. If this happened, this is what would happen. We live in a different dispensation, and I don't expect that our prayer would follow the same pattern uh, of David. However, there are prayers of David 
uh, in the Psalms that uh, you can pray yourself because we all go through those kind of things. But with the element of grace, uh, because we have experienced the grace that um, they never experienced in the Old Testament days living under the economy of law. So if I understand you right, you're saying that it's possible. Uh, again, we'll come back to it sure. next week, but it's possible that uh, it's something like this would have been a prayer that obviously was on David's heart, but he may have prayed it not necessarily in God's will. Uh, it may not have been uh, the prayer that God was looking for him to pray, but yet it was recorded to show us that the Bible is relevant. People are, none of us are perfect, but yet uh, yeah, well, Christ is Again, you can look at the book of Ecclesiastes, another classic book. I mean, there are things in the book of Ecclesiastes that uh, you and I are living under the fullness of God's truth. Uh, something Solomon says, uh, clearly not true. When I say not true, mm. but again, if you understand that Solomon is writing from the perspective of a man under the sun, Solomon is going through a time of eclipse in his life where he's beginning to, he's wrestling with uh, meaning and purpose. And all he does in that book is to record his journey uh, and how he felt and what he said. It doesn't mean that everything that is said in that book is something God approves of. It's just like in the book of Genesis. I mean, the, the, you have the words recorded of the devil. But it doesn't mean that God approves what the devil said. You shall not surely die. I mean, it doesn't mean that God sanctions that, but it's recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to understand that when it comes to inspiration, inspiration uh, um, ensures the recording of the, uh, the praise of David as David prayed them. Uh, but it does not mean that every single thing you find that is approved. Let me use another example uh, that is used sometimes uh, in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs are a lot of adages, a lot of euphorism. Um, 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 got the term, they just got mixed up with the term there. But th- these are special terms that are used that um, encapsulate uh, fundamental moral principles. But not in every case. For example, train up a child, we should go, we should not depart. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a general principle. But we all know that the people who have done their best with kids, it's just, I, as I tell people this, right? Um, God knows that ev- God made everybody with a choice, right? And uh, if you, you can't blame every thing that, a parent, that happens in a family on a parent, the parent could have done their best, but you can't do that. It's just, that, are you going to blame God who was the father of Adam because Adam sinned? You can't do that. Adam was in a perfect environment, had a perfect communication. The point I'm making here is that uh, not everything that you find in Scripture is approved by God, uh, but it's recorded there for our learning. Sometimes is that we uh, learn from it in the sense that uh, this is not the way we should do it. Sometimes we learn this is the way to do it. So we just got to be careful. But this psalm in particular, I want to look at it more carefully and uh, without giving a definitive answer this evening. All I would say is that it, it's difficult for me to conceive of a believer living in the age of grace, praying this kind of prayer, uh, when our Lord himself tells us that we should pray for our enemies, and he tells us that we should uh, pray for those who despitefully use us. Uh, uh, so it's, it's difficulty, but understanding the two dispensations, one is law and one is grace, things have changed as a result of the transforming work of Christ in our lives. The law is now written in our hearts. Uh, our response is going to be not going to be like David's in a case where uh, he didn't have this uh, same indwelling Holy Spirit that we had that remains with us, and he didn't have the fullness of revelation because he lived in the Old Testament era. Thank you to the individual who sent that question in. We'll come back to it next week, and this is just a, 
uh, follow-up from them in why they asked the question, Pastor. They say, I once heard a televangelist say sometimes you have to use it. That's the reason I asked the question. <laughs> well, I remember uh, hearing a televangelist say at one time that uh, people, you know, they use the expression, uh, you should not... Um, uh, the Lord's anointed. What's the expression they use? Should not oh. judge the Lord's anointed or speak against the Lord's yeah, anointed. Yeah. Even the Lord's anointed is doing evil. And he said, uh, if you do that, he, he basically said, I have a gospel gun I can shoot you with. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, sometimes these evangelists is very comical. Uh, they try to uh, hide behind scripture and, and try to stifle opposition when they're doing something or saying something contrary to scripture. But you have every right as a believer to be a Berean Christian mm. where you examine what the pastor is saying, be it myself or some other pastor or some other leader, and see how that compares with Scripture. Don't be intimidated because a man wears a frock or wears a, a collar. Um, uh, not all people that wear frocks and wear collars are, are called of God So and follow the Scriptures. So just be aware of that. We'll get back to loneliness in just a minute, but I think it's a very fitting time to discuss because we know that uh, televangelists and many uh, so-called preachers or men of God out there are saying a lot of things about what salvation is. Pastor, can you just briefly share with us, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? A person becomes a Christian after they've come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit who uses the Word of God. And generally speaking, uh, it has to do with um, some sin in your life that has been stopping you from coming to Christ. Uh, but for you to become a believer, there must be conviction, and that conviction must be through the Holy Spirit. And the instrument that the Holy Spirit generally uses is the Word of God. So you might find that you maybe you're invited to a service and uh, you don't have any good intentions. You're just going to go because you're going to honor the request of somebody, or maybe you're going to see a girl, or maybe you're just going to give trouble. Uh, you're just going to fall asleep, and then you go to that service and go, and the the, the the person begins to preach, and the word of God becomes so powerful it it, it troubles you deeply. He, the the person says something that out of the blue. Uh, there's a connection between you and what is said, but it's from the Word of God. That's the Holy Spirit using the Word to, to move your heart in some area where, generally speaking, it is some aspect of your life you're dealing with. You come under the conviction that there's something wrong. You need some, some to do something about it. Once you want come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, you, you're brought to a point where you need to find an answer. How do I get rid of my sin? How do I get cleansing? How can I get into a relationship with God? What can I do? Uh, how can I get my life changed? And that's where the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came and died as a substitutionary death in your place, in my place, so that you might be forgiven. And what's required of you right now as a person is to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. When that happens, then God sends his Holy Spirit to indwell your life, and the Holy Spirit does one thing. He tries to create holiness in you. Mm. 
He tries to clean you up from the inside. Now, you might try, and people will tell you, well, you know, you need to stop doing this and stop doing that. That's outward transformation. Uh, That is not what we're talking about. Uh, You can reform, but you need regeneration, which is a real work of the Holy Spirit in your life, convicting you, and then bring you to the conviction that Christ is the answer. And by putting your faith and trust in Christ and repenting of your sins, God grants you eternal life, as the Bible says. That's the gist and the essence of what it is to become a Christian. Now, after you become a Christian, other things that people say, uh, uh, that people equate with Christianity. For example, you should be baptized after you become a Christian, but being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, your baptism is a public uh, prof- prof- profession to those who see that you have uh, repented of your sins, you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you now become, want to become part of that body and become part of the church. But the baptism doesn't save you. Uh, Joining the church, that doesn't save you either. Now, you should become part of a good church after you're saved and baptized. But being a member of the church doesn't save you either. In other words, the only way that you can be saved, the only name that can save you, is the name of Jesus, and the way is through faith and trust in him when you repent of your sins. That is the gist and the essence of what the gospel is about and what salvation is. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online, org. This is a live interactive call-in program. You can call and be put live on the air with your question, 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, back to the topic of loneliness. You were talking about some characteristics that manifest the condition of loneliness. What about some of the causes of loneliness? And I think this is where the rubber really hits the road. Yeah. Well, uh, there's so many um, different areas that produce loneliness. For example, uh, let's talk about uh, loneliness that uh, is caused by circumstances. Uh, I'm talking about, for example, singleness. Um, that's a circumstance that a person might find themselves in. There are people who are looking for a partner, can't find a partner. Uh, that creates a problem, and that circumstance, um, unless that circumstance is changed, generally speaking, uh, unless you learn to grapple and deal with your loneliness, uh, likely that that will continue for a period of time until you move out of your loneliness by maybe socializing with people. But that's one that could be a cause, it's your circumstance. Single. And by the way, let me just say, um, when it comes to this whole matter of, of singleness, um, you know, you need to find yourself in a position where uh, you can meet people. If you are lonely because you're single, but you are withdrawing yourself and becoming a recluse, and you're going into your little um, uh, monastery somewhere, your little nunnery somewhere, maybe in your home, you're staying in your room, you're not meeting people, you know, how are you going to solve this problem? But singleness, uh, that's a circumstance. Then uh, we talked about the matter, uh, another circumstance is divorce. There are some people who are just going to because they're divorced. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a circumstantial cause of divorce. The death of a loved one, hmm. that you were, you maybe even your partner for 40 years, 30 years, uh, and now they're gone, and you have to come home to a, a 
a lonely house. You have to come home and sleep in a lonely bed. You, you, you don't sit down and have your, your tea in mornings. You're just one cup. Uh, there's one plate. There's you know it's it's that is a circumstance that uh, can 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 cause loneliness. Uh, what about the emptiness that you build your life around your children, and now the children are gone? <laughs> it's a shell. Uh, you you spent so much time uh, w- w- around your children that now they're off and they're married or they've gone away to study and they're not coming back or they've migrated and you haven't cultivated a relationship between yourselves and you find that it, you're like two strangers in a house. What kept you guys together really was the children. That is a circumstance that could produce holiness. Loss of a job, uh, loss of your home or uh, some of that nature. Um, a devotion at work. Uh, as well, where your prestige is lost, uh, basically that can put you in a put you in a, lo- a, a spin of loneliness. Uh, I, I mentioned a major move. Uh, you move from you maybe you got a promotion, and you know transferring from Antigua maybe to Guyana or to Barbados. Uh, you're leaving all your friends. You're leaving all your family. That uh, change circumstance uh, uh, can be. So those are circumstantial factors that uh, can cause loneliness. Then there are matters that relate to the matter of uh, your health and affliction. For example, a physical disability. Um, you used to be mobile. Now, for some reason, you've got some chronic pain or you've got some injury that you're now incapable of being mobile. That can lead you to uh, a deep sense of loneliness. Uh, what about a mental emotional sickness uh, that you might be going through at this point in time? Uh, a chronic terminal illness you just discovered that maybe you have cancer or you have some other um, disease that is malignant. Uh, that in itself uh, can, can create And then aging. Uh, is another problem with uh, f- f- uh, that people have when they, when uh, as far as loneliness is concerned, and sometimes uh, the loneliness of abuse. That something happened uh, many, many many years ago. You've never shared, but it is traumatizing you at this point in time, uh, and you feel that you want to share, you can't share it. Uh, and uh, you're afraid that if you share it, people would judge you the wrong way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, afflictions of that nature. Uh, and then, the other thing that uh, could create loneliness uh, is uh, relates to your career goals and your advancements in life. Uh, a new career could put you at a different level. Where now you are maybe in the boardroom, you were once a common worker, now you're you're making decisions and depending on how they respond to you and the criticism of you or, or whatever it is, that, that can lead to loneliness. Uh, a career change. Um, you put all your eggs in one basket and then you discover that this is not what you are gifted for. Uh, and now you have at your age to change into a new career. And you have to pursue that. That that can create a problem. And then um, the pursuit of even higher education um, could put you in a spin-off of uh, of loneliness. Then estrangement and alienation is another factor. Uh, um, the absence of intimacy between you and your partner. Maybe you've got an adulterous spouse that you were, you know, uh, you know, estranged from. You were so close together. Uh, now you feel rejected. Uh, sometimes it's marital separation. Uh, maybe, um, you know, when, when I was much younger, there are men that spent 
months at, at, at sea, seamen, mm. and who are away from their families for many, many long times. There are people whose jobs take them away for a year, uh, dependent on, uh, you know, that can affect you. Um, and then uh, conflict with, with families or friends or fellow employees, um, that could create uh, lonely because the estrangement, the alienation that is there, uh, removal or displacement from a cu- customary place that you're familiar with, uh, all of these are factors that lead to some kind of alienation or estrangement, and when that happens, you can face loneliness. Then uh, what about change of a significant, your significant status? For example, retirement. I mean, that that c- can be a killer uh, if you're not active. And, and by the way, I do feel that, and I don't know how to say this without offending people who may be listening, but I do feel that to retire at 60 is really crazy. Uh, I really feel that people have a lot more to give than to retire them at 60. That's my gut feeling on this whole matter. Uh, and I think sometimes when people are post into retirement, they did not prepare for that eventuality, yet they might have another 15 or 20 years. And uh, what did they do in that process? They haven't thought about an alternative when that occurs. That can be a very lonely uh, experience, especially trying to keep life and limb together and to meet the needs of the home. Uh, the the other thing, of course, is, as I mentioned, emotion and then a financial collapse of your empire. Now your empire is hemorrhaging red and you never th- foresaw that you're, you know, you're always in the black and always think, it would, and then it's all gone. And now you have to try to rebuild some kind of capital. Uh, that's a lonely journey. How do you venture back uh, to that kind of achievement? The only other thing I would like to say, another cause, of course, is feeling spiritually abandoned by God. And there are people who really feel that way because they might be going through difficult changes or painful loss or prolonged suffering or they're going through a a time of severe testing. It seems as though God is silent and the situation just gets worse and you get that feeling as though God has abandoned you. If you read the book of Job, by the way, uh, you'll find that Job had moments uh, like this. Uh, could you read Job nineteen twelve? Yeah, let me pull it up here. And uh, Job nineteen twelve and Job nineteen ten and Job nineteen six. Uh, you can see that um, it is possible to have that deep sense of of, of uh, divine abandonment. Job 19.12 says, His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. Yeah. He's, you know, Job is saying, God is like he's surrounding me with an army. I can't find my way out of this situation. Read verse number 10. Job 19.10 says, He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath he removed like a tree. Again, that's the language. That's how he feels. I mean, when you've lost your, your real estate, you've lost your family, uh, you've lost your uh, everything that you own, and then you're physically afflicted to the point where, uh, from top to your head to the bottom, you can't sit, you can't rest. This is Job, and that's how we feel. But that gives you an idea that he feels as though uh, God has been very, very harsh with him. And then read verse number six. Know now that God hath overthrown me, and hath compassed me with his net. 
language. He's just, again, the book of Job is just telling you the, the very emotion that Job felt. That's exactly how he felt, as though God had abandoned him. And by the way, you put yourself in Job's situation where you lose your, your, your seven children, you lose all your, your, your financial assets, uh, you lose your health, and then you have a nagging wife who just tells you, curse God and die. And then you've got some friends who are blaming you that there must be some sin in your life for God to bring all this judgment upon you. Uh, you feel totally isolated. No one understands, not even God, and God is not doing anything to bring me out of this, this, this rut. That's the kind of thing that you can go to when you come into the point of loneliness. So you've got spiritual causes as well as circumstantial causes and changes in your life. In relation to the circumstances or the friendship causes, uh, this question comes via WhatsApp. Pastor, how can you rebuke a fellow Christian friend in a way that will not cause friction between you and that person? I have seen some Christians that don't like to be rebuked. I don't know how that is possible. Depends on a person's personality. Uh, 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 you know, I don't know many people who like rebuke. To be honest with you, including mm-hmm. myself, I'll be very frank with you. But I think it's the approach. I think it's the approach. I think uh, if you can disarm the person and that person feel that you have their best welfare at heart, and and by the way. Uh, rebuke is normally only acceptable in terms of a relationship. So if there's no relationship between you and that person, or it's a hostile one before, chances are they're not going to take your rebuke very kindly. So I would suggest to you that if you feel that there's something that needs to be said very sternly, try to build a relationship first with that individual. Uh, I think that once you build a relationship, I then think you're in a position to then uh, offer uh, some rebuke. Um, that's the only way I can think about dealing with it. But remember that rebuke is never taken uh, well outside the context of relationship. And if a person doesn't feel that you like them or you're out to get them, you can be telling them the best thing in the world, they close off to you. They must feel that you have their best interests at heart, and they must also feel that uh, somehow you're trying to bridge uh, a relationship. Uh, I would suggest to you that if you yourself cannot do it, but you think it's a real problem, uh, if you have a friendship with somebody that he is associated with very closely, um, ask, you know, discuss it with them. And by the way, uh, if they ask who told you, be willing to say to that friend, listen, tell him that I told you, but I didn't feel I was in a position uh, to give counsel and advice because the relationship may be strained or I didn't feel that I had that kind of relationship, so I've asked you to do it. I think if you do that very openly, uh, I think that might be the way, best way to go rather than you doing it yourself. I think that'd be probably the best way to do it. As we were talking about how it's human nature to not take rebuke easily. I was thinking my mind went, and I can't think of the exact verses, but in Proverbs where it talks about the wise man uh, takes rebuke, whereas the fool writes off correction. Yeah, I agree with that, but I, I still insist that you got to be within the context of relationships for right. person to, to respond. If you want a positive response, uh, the person must feel that you have their best interests at heart. And uh, so I would say to anybody who is having a problem with somebody and that person needs to be rebuked because there's something wrong in their life, whatever it is, uh, if you don't have a good relationship and there's hostility between the two of you, it may be better to find a person who uh, they're more comfortable dealing with it. But at the same time, 
you got to be transparent so that it's not as though you it's gossip behind the person's back, because if it it comes out, uh, it will be seen that way, and that leads to greater hostility. Pastor, in the day and age that we live, I mean, there are so many ways we can connect, even with the pandemic, and we're not able to meet as a church collectively. There are churches doing video. There are churches doing virtual meetings, like over Zoom. There's churches doing audio sermons. How is it that with all of this technology that allows us to connect, that people in today seem to be becoming more and more lonely? That is one of the strangest things that you would, uh, not only that, remember that we've got how many billion people now? So we've got more people than like we've ever gotten living before billion. than before, but yet we've got more more loneliness than uh, perhaps any other time. I think there are a few reasons for that, and uh, I may not be able to exhaust it the uh, sheer uh, there might be some others that uh, might might want to be added, uh, but I think one of the big things uh, is that our society has become urbanized as opposed to uh, being a rural society. I think anyone that lives in the country area, generally speaking, uh, rural communities are much more um, have a greater sense of togetherness, a greater unity, uh, neighbors know each other, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I often tell people that one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life, and my wife would vouch for this, is that we were able to, at the time we had our kids, to be living in St. Lucia. Uh, we lived in a place called Tiwashe Miku. I think that St. Lucia would always be endeared to, to us because we have thought about this, and we've uh, many, many times we just we no, we, we talk, we, we mention it, that uh, there's no way we could have done the work with our kids in Barbados if I lived in Barbados than if I lived in St. Lucia. Uh, St. Lucia was very unique in that area. It was it was a rural area, it was a country area. <clears throat> People were very friendly, very courteous. Uh, it, I just can't explain in words the profound thanks I have that we were able to be there in St. Lucia at the time we were bringing up our children. I get a little bit emotional when that that happens Mm. because it it really, really is very precious to us uh, that that really happened. But I I like the rural society. I like like Mm. where I like I like you know, you can go to people's home. You don't have to call them. <clears throat> I like I like those kind of things. I I, I just I connect that way. Basically. So, do you think it's a bad thing when countries become developed <clears throat> and more industrial? Is that something that we, for those who are making decisions in the direction of a country, that they need to be aware of, or <clears throat> or it just needs to be balanced to some degree? Yeah, I think I think that we lose something the more we become urbanized. There's no question about it. I think everybody that I th- you talk to the older people, uh, they will tell you quite frankly that we lose so much. We lose the sense of courtesy. courtesy. We lose the sense of, of family. We lose the sense of closeness. Um, a lot is lost. Um, you know, you live in an urban society, an urban area, and then we, we lose the sense of quietness. Mm. And, and, you know, we lose so many things. So I do feel that there's a lot of negatives when you be. But again, that is where the the jobs are. That's where the industry. That's where the commerce is, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not too sure you can reverse that. I don't know how you can maintain some of those positives about the urban life and, and within the the, the uh, ur- uh, urban community. Move it from the rural to the urban. But I do feel that we lose. Uh, I was telling a friend. Uh, oh, I, I stood up four hours the other day waiting to pay my APO bill. 
By the time I was over, I was like a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> but I met a gentleman that was talking to him uh, about uh, the difference between urban and, and um, rural. And I, I told him, I said that when I was in, uh, was in I, I was a pastor in St. Vincent for five years. And I was going to preach in an area called Fancy uh, and uh, Oia. And the only way you could get to those places, you had one bus. So if you missed that bus, you never got there. So it was the only one bus. But I got on the bus, and I remember I was going through the sermon, uh, reading the sermon that I was going to preach, and a gust of wind blew the <gasps> sermon out of my <laughs> Oh, no. And I'm looking to see the sermon sail, and I, I want to stop the guy. But I know, that I feel they're going to curse me now. Yeah, you disrupt everything. So I didn't say anything, but a gentleman saw what happened. He stopped the bus. And the bus driver told me, go and get it. I walked back maybe half a mile, found the thing, came back, and I came in like a sheep, <laughs> expecting people to just blast me. Not one person said a word. Wow. It was the kindest thing I had ever experienced in my life because if I was living in the Barbadian society that had happened, man, I would have been I would have gotten it. But that gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah. We we do lose that 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 that, that human touch, that 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 um that quality of um togetherness, that, that human part of us, and that courtesy that is there, we do lose it. So I think that is part of the problem why people are uh, you know people don't even know their next door neighbor. Hmm. Uh, people value convenience and want privacy. So what did they do? They put a fence and they put dogs. You can't even yeah. visit now because <laughs> they let loose the dogs <laughs> in the fence because they're saying to you, you know, you just stay on the outside. You you, you often have yeah. that when you go on visitation. Uh, you would love to be able to go. Sometimes you want to knock on the You can't knock because there's a fence and there's a dog and he's going to yeah. bark at you. And then when the dog barks at you and uh, it disrupts the, the person in there. And when they come, they got this sour tone. It's like, what are you bothering me for? <laughs> I think that is part of the, the situation, that part of becoming urbanized and valuing our privacy. Um, I think that we are building a fence uh, to say to people, you know, if I, if I want contact with you I will call you but I don't want you coming uh, so I think that's another thing and then uh, people don't like inconvenience uh, you know to build relationships it requires investment of time and uh, because the investment in time interrupts our life of convenience we're not prepared to spend the time investing in, in relationships uh, and consequently we never get to know uh, people very uh, very very well the other thing I would say um, we have not maintained uh, people not maintaining intact families uh, Nathan and what I mean by that is not only that we're not maintaining our own families that we come out of but people are not maintaining intact families when they get married uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, the divorce rate is so severe at this point in time in, in our own in the, in, the, in the modern life the, the rate within the church is virtually the same rate outside the church and because we're not maintaining those um, intact families we can't have close relationships and that in itself leads to this, this isolation and, uh, and sense of loneliness within marriage and then the other thing uh, Nation is the Let's be very honest. A lot of our fellowship within churches is very, very superficial. And what I mean by that is generally when church people get together, 
for something is always something about eating and, and making light conversation. It's never about anything deep, basically. It's, mm-hmm. it's just chit-chat, right? So you, and you can't build closeness uh, without some in-depth, and, and and that also involves emotional aspect. You must the friendship must go beyond mere uh, casual talk, basically. So I think that that is part of the reason the the rural aspect of it, the the fact that we're not having intact families any longer, or desire for privacy, uh, the, the the desire for we don't want anything that is inconvenient in our lives. I think all of those are factors that influence our, uh, the, the, the level of loneliness that we currently face today uh, in society. I have an article here in front of me, another possible cause for some people's loneliness. And believe it or not, social media, which is supposed to bring people together, whether it be from time, <laughs> whether it be friends from college or high school 20 years ago, or whether it be distance, breaking down distance, someone from the other side of the globe, you're able to communicate with them. Social media, believe it or not, can be a cause for loneliness. And I've got a study here in front of me, 2017 study that says it seems that young adults with heavy use of social media platforms, two hours a day, have twice the chance of experiencing social anxiety and loneliness. Well, I mean, I am not into this technology stuff. I, I, as a matter of fact, it's a bother to me. People <laughs> who call me will discover that. You know, I I belong to the old school. Uh, I think one of the greatest interruptions you can have is a phone that can interrupt you at any moment. You don't have any peace any time, you know. In a most solemn moment, a phone can ring and disrupt everything. Uh, so I am, you know, I, I can understand how that can happen. The other thing is that I see people plugged in all the time. Yeah. I mean, they're not plugged. I just don't know how to do it, to be very honest with you. <laughs> I always wonder if God, uh, you know, if, if, how can they ever get online with God with always plugged in? How, how, how is that going to happen? When do you have a time, a break, that God can really speak? That That bothers me a lot. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Nathan, about this matter is sometimes uh, with this matter, it's, it's the the jobs that people have sometimes as well. And what I mean by that, take a policeman and a nurse mm. uh, or a doctor, period. Uh, that 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 job, one one is coming and one is leaving. There's no closeness that is there. So even though they share the same roof, but there's not that level of intimacy because the the, the job sometimes as, of, of course is the you've got a person who's a workaholic uh, you can't build a relationship without time and communication and many many times uh, the disruption there is the the, the the job the differences in job and, and the time if you're not on the same schedule uh, that can be a very serious disruption as well but right. I thought it's interesting what you just mentioned about this uh, do technology. You would have thought that people would be closer. <laughs> right. I have a quote here from a 35-year-old woman who was going through counseling. She says that she was spending 60 hours a week on social media. At first, I felt this was really helping me feel less lonely. But after a while, the more time I spent scrolling, the more miserable and rejected I felt. Wow. And I think it's important also to remember that social media is not reality there's a lot of people you put your your best face forward yeah. you 
You may take 20 photos and post that one that it makes you look the best. You may share those things that make your family in the puts your family in the best light or uh, your relationship with your spouse or your fiance or whoever it may be. Just because you see someone else that seems to have the perfect life on social media, don't let it affect you and don't always be comparing yourself saying, well, why can't I have that? Or why can't I be as spiritual as this fellow believer that's always posting something spiritual? I agree with you 100%. I think that um, there are some nonverbal cues that uh, your your facial expressions, your eyes, et cetera, et cetera, uh, your your tone of voice, all of that basically uh, says far more than just uh, communicating uh, that way. And as you said, you can take a picture, by the way, and you can take everything out of it. You can make a person look perfect. My son is Mm -hmm. a person who does that photography. He can take a spot out of my face, and I look like a... I look a young man, to be very <laughs> honest with you. Uh, so there's a lot of artificial things that's out there, and we, we need to understand it's face-to-face, personal contact that really enable you to evaluate a person as opposed to be on social media. I don't know how you can evaluate a person uh, without having met them, without spoken to them and, and, and interacted with them. So I think it's a, a mirage that is there. We've got to be careful. The other thing, uh, Nathan, is the, the, the element of mobility that is far more common today than it was before. And what I mean by that is that people are transient. Uh, They're moving from one location to another. It's not like when I was brought up, I was confined to one particular place, right? But people know because of the, uh, even in the Caribbean, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you can be, you could be an Antiguan and working in another place, et cetera, et cetera. That, that was not very common before, right? I think that element of mobility also affects uh, the, the level of uh, um, interaction among people and, and help to, in some way to affect the, the, the level of loneliness in others. Is it possible for a couple to become lonely? Oh, yeah. I, I think that is... Uh, <laughs> That that is so common that you'd be amazed how common that is. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, you talk to um, you talk to you do any kind of marital counseling, uh, you soon discover that it is a real real big problem. You know, a lot of people think by jumping to the bed they solve their problems. The problems just begin. Uh, but I think that is so because a, a, a lot of times people marry for the wrong reasons. Long wrong reasons. Mo- most people uh, today would marry maybe for security. They're not looking at other aspects of it. Um, and I don't think that they really build a relationship before marriage. Uh, they don't spend the, the time that's required. Uh, and they don't ask the right kind of questions in dating uh, to see if we can we are compatible. Uh, sometimes, it, 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 unless you do some investigation when you're going through the dating process, you can virtually marry a stranger if you just the physical is what you're looking at and the appearance of the person. I don't want to interrupt sure. you, but in today's day and age, when people talk about compatibility when they're dating, they're often talking about being sexually compatible, yeah, but that's having why, a relationship. So that's why I'm saying. Uh, that's why I was saying, Nathan, that they, it's, it's, for most people, it's it's it's, it's physical. Uh, attraction. It is security looking at. And that's why I say you have to spend time investigating to see if you're compatible with the person, not from the sexual point of view, but can we carry on a conversation? Hmm. Uh, It'd be very difficult, I would say to you, uh, suppose a person is doing sciences, right? A person, that's his area. And he's going to marry a person who maybe is is into the arts. Uh, 
is there going to be a meeting of mind there or the interest? I mean, though, even those things are something you've got to look at. Now, it's, it's possible that he can get her into the arch and get her into the sense of the intuition. But if there's no connection whatsoever, that, that's a problem. Same thing spiritually. Um, because you're Christian, you shouldn't marry because you're two Christians. Are we spiritually compatible? Is, am I leading him? I'm the, I'm the female, but I am the leader, spiritual leader, and he's the follower. That will continue the marriage. Mm. Uh, so if he is not the spiritual leader, I ought to think three and four times because if he's not the spiritual leader while we're dating, how he's going to become the spiritual leader when we get married? So those are things that you have to look at as well. Uh, and then um, the whole matter, women have the problem of um, conversation. Um, I think that that is something that needs to be worked out during the dating. Uh, does he have a tendency to want to talk or he doesn't want to talk? You know, is it all physical for him? Basically, is that what he sees it? Uh, does he want to discuss deep things or just shallow things? Uh, I think that if you use your discernment and uh, get away from the physical, because I've told people this uh, in counseling, once you get involved physically when you're dating, it is over. Everything else is over except the physical. Mm-hmm. You're meeting for physical. You're not meeting to discuss any main issue. And whenever it ends up, whenever the meeting is back to the physical. So it actually undermines the relationship and it doesn't allow you to have any objectivity in dealing with other issues that are important within marriage. It becomes a physical relationship. Sounds so old-fashioned, Pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm as old-fashioned as Scripture is, and I believe that the biblical principles are principles that the designer has given to us. And clearly, uh, that's why he warns against fornication and adultery. And he says that every sin is outside the body except fornication. Once fornication takes place within a relationship, there is a chemistry that takes place, and you are changed to a point where it radically transforms everything that happens within your marriage or within the relationship. And that's why the Bible warns again and again and again, stay away from it, flee it, because God understands it short-circuits the relationship and uh, you're not able to see clearly and you're going to make wrong decisions when that happens. Very well stated. In the last three minutes, Pastor, how should we as Christians deal with loneliness? You know, I was thinking about... um, uh, one of the things that we can do is maybe for those of us who are biblically inclined is to maybe do a study on the subject and look in the Bible of people who went through times of loneliness. Um, I mean, David, Elijah, Christ himself, etc., etc. I think that would be a study, and, and, and Moses, uh, to see what that period of loneliness, what was accomplished in his life, and how God was preparing the person uh, for ministry. The other thing I think that's very helpful is to look at the Apostle Paul himself, and uh, especially in his closing chapters in the book of Second Thessalonians, Second Timothy chapter 4, um, where the Apostle Paul said that all had forsaken him, etc., etc. And uh, what Paul said at the moment that he felt completely abandoned by everybody else, and he began to list the names of those people, uh, his, his thoughts went on John Mark. His thoughts went on, on Luke and those type of people. In other words, in your moments of loneliness, and you feel that uh, you have probably been abandoned, there are significant people in your life that can change your melancholy outlook on life if you would reflect on those people in your life who've had something positive or who have been very influential in in having a real meaningful uh, impact upon your life. The other thing is that um, 
this is a time for you to get along with God. Paul said when everybody forsook him, the Lord stood uh, by him. And this may be a time for you to really seek God that you've never sought him before uh, in your time of loneliness. The other thing is that it's significant the Apostle Paul, when he was in that lonely boat in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, he told um, Timothy uh, in that passage to bring the books uh, with him and bring the, par- bring the parchment. Uh, in other words, the Apostle Paul is going to occupy his mind. And of course, the Apostle Paul is also used this time of isolation and this time of loneliness. And he writes what is called the prison epistles. He now becomes creative and he allows God to use him so that he now ministers to others in his moment of loneliness. I think that uh, when you go through that period of time, it may be a time to you to, to explore the element of maybe encouraging others, maybe writing down your thoughts, maybe in poetry or song. Uh, some of the greatest songs that we sing today came out of moments where people were either under some severe trial, uh, going through some trauma, um, a loss, a death, uh, loneliness. And they wrote some of the most beautiful hymns and some of the most beautiful poetry that has enriched the world and enriched the church. Maybe you can allow God to work in your life in that way. Pastor, in 20 seconds, is it wrong for a Christian to face loneliness? I don't think it is wrong. I think it happens to all of us. It is just that we have to bring God into the matrix of what is happening to us and ask ourselves, is, is this designed by God for a purpose of my spiritual development? And what is God trying to teach me and how can he use me in this time where I feel lonely uh, to help others and to minister and to learn from it so that I may be able to minister to others in the future. Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Be sure you tune in next week as we bring you, Lord willing, another great topic. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.